0: Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane, I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. In today's episode, I speak with Dr. Rena Bliss, A leading expert on the nature of intelligence and its cultural significance, Dr. Bliss, who is a professor of sociology at Rutgers University, has spent over a decade researching the misconceptions surrounding intelligence and its assessment. In her latest book, Rethinking Intelligence, A Radical New Understanding of Our Human Potential, Dr. Bliss challenges the conventional wisdom that intelligence is a fixed, innate trait determined solely by genetics. Drawing on cutting edge research, as well as her own experiences as a mother and sociologist, she argues that intelligence is a complex and dynamic process shaped by a range of factors including stress, connection, play, and mindfulness. So join us as we delve into this fascinating world of intelligence and its cultural significance. I know that it's her hope for this work to challenge you and to rethink what you know about yourself, your children, and our human potential. Rina, thank you so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms Podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm always looking for new and interesting topics under the realm of minimalism in regards to simplicity, intentionality when it comes to the way that we live and the way that we think. So that's why I wanted to have you on the show today. You have a new book called Rethinking Intelligence, a Radical New Understanding of Our Human Potential. So I can't wait to pick your brain on something that's probably a little bit over my head. I think you'll see that it's actually pretty connected in
1: a really neat way to minimalism itself and declaring oh, wow. itself. Yeah. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll have to make sure we hit that point for sure, but why don't yeah. you go ahead and introduce yourself? And then do you consider yourself to be a minimalist?
1: Definitely. I do. First and foremost, I consider myself to be a mom and I also consider myself to be a minimalist and I am a genetics expert. I'm a sociologist as well, I'm a professor at Rutgers University, and I have been writing about and teaching about and speaking about the relationship between our environments, like our home environment, also like our educational environment, school, classroom, all of that stuff, and our genes and our intelligence, our minds, our mental health, all of that stuff for a long time. And this is just kind of my latest installment of talking about that stuff. So you'll see as we go along that there are really important links between our environments, like our home environments, like our familial environments, and also our mental health and our ability to think clearly, to focus, to put our attention to things that matter to us.
0: Okay. Interesting. I want to talk about what first led you to start researching this information. Like you said, you are a sociologist as well. What was the main driving factor or something that you discovered that was like, this is going to be my main focus? I've actually been
1: really fascinated by intelligence my whole life. And it started when I was a kid. I grew up in an immigrant community in Los Angeles, and it was very diverse there. But one thing was really common amongst the people in my community, which is that We thought of education as our big ticket towards American success and towards the dream and all of the things that our parents had come here for. And we really thought of our test scores. There was a lot of intelligence testing when I was a kid. And also like there was standardized school testing and all of that stuff. So it was like testing, testing, testing. And so we thought of that as those scores as really a marker of how smart we were and how we were going to be as we grew up and where we were going to get in life. So we really like invested a lot in the idea of intelligence and academic success being a way for us to be successful, amazing human beings and make it in this world. And yet the parents in my community, my mom, all of the people I grew up around, they worked so much and they didn't have time or money to help us learn any of the things we were learning at school. They didn't have time or money to coach us for tests. They definitely didn't have most of the time the vocabulary to even explain any of the Words that would be on the tests and the concepts and stuff were very foreign to us. But yet we were testing all the time. And I took my first test when I was five. And I was trying to test out of the school I was zoned for into a magnet school for gifted and talented kids. And I failed the test. It was no big surprise, but it was really awful for me and for my family. It was the first time I saw my mom cry. So it was really sad. You know, it was just a hard moment of, okay, maybe she's not that smart. She's not going to make it, this kind of thing. I tested again a couple years later and at that point I was really still me but I had a little bit more familiarity with the language and with the kind of things that would be on the tests. So at that point I tested into my school's gifted and talented program. And from there I was tracked for college prep and education all success and all of that kind of stuff. And then I was like told I was smart 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 and all of that kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of being told that. And meanwhile My friends, this did not happen to them. The people in my community, not so. In fact, my closest friend was basically at the time on like a track towards more remedial education until within like the first year of high school, like she dropped out for good. It was just kind of like, that's more what I was accustomed to. And yet I was lucky enough to kind of get out, so to speak. Right? So at the time, my teachers and the people in my community were all this, oh, you know, you're really smart. And so, of course, it's natural. You were born like that. You're born intelligent. They're just not born intelligent. Right. And there was all this comparison. It was really sad. Pop culture was like that, too. It was just like, yeah, you're either born smart. You're born with it. Your genes make you smart or your genes make you dumb or they make you average, whatever. Right. The problem was that the science was like that, too. So as I got into college and then started studying, first studying genetics and being interested in it from like more of a, wow, this is so fascinating, starry eyes kind of perspective. And then starting to be kind of critical and thinking like, wait a minute, there are all of these cultural narratives woven into the questions that we ask about DNA. And then over time, like over my education, just starting to see we need to flip this cultural script. This is really messed up. DNA doesn't tell us those things. In fact, it tells us like kind of the opposite. But I found that a lot of the science through the end of the 20th century It did kind of lend itself to being misunderstood that way. So we had pop culture. We had just what like everyday lay people were saying about intelligence. And it was all just this big lie saying, okay, you're just born a certain way. Your DNA gives you your intelligence and you're just lucky or you're not lucky. Yeah, that's what got me interested in writing the book.
0: This is interesting because... I'm just thinking back to some of my own experiences and I think I got off track. I think I'm a very smart person. However, I think that I was influenced negatively by boys and Mm -hmm. by popularity, wanting to run with the cool kids, which I never did, but (laughs) I always wanting that and always striving for that. And I felt like at that point, my grades just kept getting lower because I was putting my attention and my focus elsewhere. It wasn't that I wasn't capable, but that was my experience. So hearing you say this and just kind of reading through your book and and Mm -hmm. what you've just said to me intelligence isn't something that you can rank and compare with an IQ test or a DNA test because we all have the potential to learn. And I have always believed that. I guess I've never heard that people thought that it was a genetic factor or DNA. That's news to me. I do think there has to be the desire there. And I do want to talk about how we can optimize intelligence, but desire can be suppressed for so many various reasons. But it's interesting, again, going back to my own example is the only thing I can really speak to. I would say I am a lifelong learner, but under what I'm interested in. I don't think the school realm necessarily fit me. When someone tells me I have to learn something, I want to rebel. And I don't know. I think that a lot of people are oftentimes they do that or there's some type of rebellion. And then it's like, oh, you're not that smart then because you don't fit A, B, or C. Exactly. Yeah. So it's that self-fulfilling prophecy. That's a
1: sociological concept. It comes from sociology and it's one of the things that's trickled into pop culture and common parlance, right? But it's one of the craziest things about intelligence is that As soon as you prime kids for learning by saying something like, oh, you're just going to do so well with this, they do better. And as soon as you tell them like, oh, you know, someone like you probably won't do as well as someone like this other person. They do really badly. There have been all of these ways that people have tested the tests, IQ tests, and tried to manipulate people's scores. And you can manipulate them pretty easily based on these kinds of self-fulfilling prophecies. Just either like priming them with stereotypes or about themselves or about other people, even like you can say something, it's crazy. You can say something positive about someone who seems to be like a different gender or a different race or a different class level. And then that can drive a person's test scores down. They have all these ways of really like showing that these test scores are super, super dependent on how a person's feeling and how a person is doing in that moment when they take the test. And part of that is emotional wellness, mental health, and a lot of it is physical health and just having food in your belly, being healthy, having had nutrition for many years before that, not just on the day of the test, right? Even adoption kind of schemes for testing the tests where they show kids being tested before they were adopted, then tested mm-hmm. after they were adopted and being bumped up from like one so-called like intelligence bracket to another, you know, being of average intelligence and then being adopted and living with a family of great wealth for like many years and then getting like these crazy higher scores and stuff like that. So I wonder
0: if that though would be due to finding a security. Like I finally have a home and a family, so I'm secure. So I don't have to have this anxiety riddling me that I can't do as well. Surely there has to be factors like that at play too. Definitely.
1: And that's part of where it connects to minimalism. One of the things that I thought going into when I was studying DNA for the first time and just learning about like how our genes work, how our biology works, is I thought that our genes basically coded for, aka programmed our behavior and programmed how we would do, you know, perform on a test. And actually, there are companies that sell so-called genetic IQ tests that say, like, we can predict how well you'll do on an IQ test or any kind of intelligence test. So there are all kinds of shady companies out there that are like ready to like vultures or like, we're going to just jump on people's worst fears about themselves. But the thing is that actually what I ended up learning is that, and it's really something that developed, especially in the last like 20 years, is that most of the action in terms of what happens with our genome is in whether our genes that we all are born with because we're human beings really can function at their best. So mm. That happens based off of these really unique little changes that happen to our DNA based on our environmental health, the quality of our environments. That is just to use one technical word and then we can leave it behind us is just called the epigenome. So we think of our DNA as like just making us who we are, but it's actually these little modifications to the genome that are in different regions of our genes that basically say, oh, you should turn on right now like you were supposed to do, or I actually am not going to let you turn on even though you should be turning on right now. Mm -hmm. And it's like those on-off switches those are always being cued by our environments. If our environment is unhealthy in any kind of way, especially through stress, we will have a lower chance of being able to turn on our genes that we need in order to have really optimal brain function. Again, to like take us away from the technical parts of it and to bring us back to minimalism, our environments need to be stress-free as much as possible. We don't have control over everything in our environment with a capital E. Mm -hmm. I can't go out of my house and like control the streets. And I can't go out of my house and control that people are going to respect me if I walk into a building or a store. All I can do is I can control the things I can control. One of the things I can control is my home environment, my work from home environment. Like I can control the things around me. That's where minimalism is really valuable to me because it helps me to be less
0: stressed. Yeah, I mean, you're speaking my language. That's what I try to tell people is that now in my mid 30s, I have seen what I have control over in life. And it's usually just my reaction, which sometimes I don't even have control over my reaction. (laughs) But I do have control over my home. And again, there are people coming in and out of here my children, my husband bringing things in that I may not love. But we can, as a family, try to cultivate that space as best as possible to get it under control. And I can control my space and where I'm existing. And so, I mean, I am right there with you that it adds unnecessary stress and it does cause people to be anxious.
1: It does. I mean, and we already have a lot of reasons to be anxious. Even the most beneficial things to us, for example, I've got two five-year-olds and a four-year-old. So my five-year-olds are in kindergarten at our local public school for the first time where we have two kids in a public school, the four-year-olds obviously like in a private preschool. And we are so happy that they have this wonderful public school to go to. And all of a sudden last year, it was like we had everybody going to school from nine till 12. So that's all. The work that we could do is from nine till 12. Now we all of a sudden have six hours for everybody. We're really like, wow. They're like out of school half the time, half days, all the time. There are full days off all the time. You know, of course, teachers need to have their development days and those kinds of things throw us off. Everything's throwing us off constantly. Like I'm so happy my kids go to your school. I'm also going crazy because I can't even like predict when they're going to actually go to school or not, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) besides that we're always getting sick from toddler viruses and stuff like that, you know, so there's not a lot of stability and certainty in our lives from the outside. I like that this place, that I'm in, especially because I do mostly work from home. Yeah, it's so important that it's not cluttered, that it's not full of material things that I don't need. Mm-hmm. And that I'm not spinning my mind and spinning all my energy on buying the next thing or gaming my finances so that I can get something super fancy and better. That's another thing being from LA is that the mentality of the LA that I grew up in was very, very materialistic, very conspicuous consumption. I was just talking with my research assistant. We were just talking about all the different, one of her projects is on plastic surgery, you know? And so it was like, kids in my middle school had nose jobs, you know? It was just wow, like, that's' crazy. not trying to throw shade on people. Yeah. That's what you spend your money on. And there's no reflexivity or there's no like moments to say like, I'm not going to buy these things or buy into these things, you know?
0: I'm thinking about myself. I'm not the best at math. And I always knew that my strength of my subject was English. I mean, I pursued an English degree. I don't necessarily think anyone was like, you are horrible at math. You're never going to succeed. But it was like, yeah, like your brain's probably not as geared or shifted towards math as it is English. Like your strength is in English all that to say, now I'm comfortable with that saying like, it's okay. I'm I'm not going to be strong in every realm. My brain in every capacity is not going to be the best. And you know what? I probably don't have the brain function to necessarily ever be a surgeon, a brain surgeon. My brain doesn't think that way. I'm more of a creative. I can reconcile that now as an adult, but it does seem like we want to be a little bit more hesitant with our language with the youth as they're cultivating their own desires. So what do you think about all of that?
1: You're kind of picking up on a few different things that I write about, actually, which are intelligence. We need to redefine it, first of all. That's like my main argument of my book is just we need to redefine intelligence. We've been talking about it in terms of academic achievements, educational milestones. We've been talking about it in terms of test scores. And yet we are all constantly growing, we're all constantly changing. We all have the DNA to like think and to. Just go at problem solving. And yet we're only going to see ourselves as being really so-called good at things based on how people treat us and what people push us towards. And once you start doing well with something, if your parents are loving, gentle parents, many of our parents are loving and gentle and they want us to like feel good about ourselves. They're like, oh, you're so good at that. Or you did so well at that. Or we're so proud of you about that. You keep on going back for more of that approval in a sense. And sometimes it just feels good also just to think in a certain way. And you're just like, oh yeah, I am good at that. This is what I do. And these other people do this other thing. So it's not always like a bad thing that we focus our energy on learning a certain type of material or or a subject or something like that. But really like we have the basic brain architecture to learn whatever we want. It's just that we're always being reinforced about learning certain things, right? And sometimes it comes through when people have like a teacher that really inspires them or just like makes them feel like I want to be closer to you. You're so nice teacher. Or I want to be like you because you're such a good person or you seem really smart or like I like the way that you're creative. One of the reasons why I ended up becoming like a social scientist and, and getting into into to science and academia and the whole thing was because I had a really, really creative, amazing, very public professor It was my senior year of college and I had no idea what I was going to be or do. I had like no motivation to do any specific thing, but it was like seeing this person and seeing them out in the world and being like, oh my gosh, he's amazing. Like I want to be just like him when I grow up. And so I think that a lot of times people don't get that from, especially from math. It's statistically true that women and girls especially Mm -hmm. do not get that about math right? Mm-hmm. So they don't get their stereotypes working against girls. Mm-hmm. And there are also not as many mentors out there for girls. Mm-hmm. Very few girls are going to end up being like, oh, I want to be a math professor or I want to like, okay. myself is like great at math.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a few more thoughts that I'm having. Yeah. If everyone is born with the ability to be a brain surgeon, everyone is more born with babies. It's like a blank slate. However, in foundational experiences, we'll say zero through five as foundational experiences, the brain is growing so quickly and pathways are being written. And so say we're just all standing in a line, maybe there's drug abuse in my family, there's yelling in my family. There is fill in the blank of something that maybe puts you at a deficit. That brain is going to change. And therefore, I don't want to say that those people can't overcome. We have so many examples of people overcoming trauma and horrible situations and circumstances from their past. However once some of those pathways are created and the brain actually shifts into those patterns, but it seems like that would affect future brain surgeon here versus here.
1: Definitely. So you're actually pointing to something that is one of the most beautiful things that we've learned about our bodies and our minds and everything from the last two or three decades of research, which is neuroplasticity. It's that our brains are growing and changing and developing and developing these neural networks Okay. And building new ones and pruning those down and like reconfiguring constantly. And they do it most intensively in those early years, like you were saying, right? But then they continue to do that. And they actually continue into adulthood. People think, oh, you could never grow a new brain cell. No, actually you still do. And so just the fact of knowing that we are plastic, we are malleable, we are growing, we are developing, giving people that information so that they understand that that's why you can heal from trauma that you have incurred when you're young. My father was a drug addict and he was a drug addict my whole life. And then he passed away a few years ago. So like, he was like, literally like messed up my whole entire life. Uh. Of course when I was little, but it's more like we understood as I grew up how to manage our family and manage his addictions and like his problems and stuff like that. But It's not just you have an adverse exposure and then you're just set for life in this one way. We're actually changing all the time. There is always potential to change and to learn new things and to learn completely out of our skill sets to gain new skills. That said, it doesn't mean that we have to learn everything out there. So figuring out, like learning yourself and getting to that point where you're like, I feel good about my choices. I feel good about Really investing in these kinds of subjects and information. And I feel good about playing off my strengths Mm -hmm. that I have developed, even if I could have been anything, but I'm not that. And so I'm just going to share what I can with the world to make the world a better place. I'm just going to like say, this is me. And I think that's very valuable too. That's part of the whole reason why I say, let's get rid of this whole like scores. My SAT was this, my GREs were that, and get rid of all that kind of way of defining intelligence and define intelligence as learning from the environment learning it's a process it's something that we do no matter who we are right we're always learning it's like people are like oh but what if you have autism or what if you have severe ADHD the person is still learning from their environment they're still intelligent if you have this like score based definition those people are not intelligent mm-hmm. they be, right because they're not the smart that we're judging people by right Or maybe they have like some crazy high IQ score, but they're not socially and emotionally connecting in a way that we value and that we're kind of like trying to wrap into like cultural standard of intelligence. And so I'm like saying, let's forget that kind of definition that doesn't serve anybody and just say learning from our environment. It's an awareness. It's an awareness that you can learn from your environment. You just are going to be hopefully enabled by your environment or unfortunately you might not be right? The kids in my community of when I was little, we were not empowered by environments, right? Back to the minimalism thing. It's like all of the stress that we incurred from worrying about how we didn't have all the material goods that other kids had, that we didn't look what movie stars look like, that we weren't ever going to be that person living in a palace in the hills. All of that kind of waste of energy, that was not empowering us to learn from our environments. It was just teaching us like, you aren't going to be anything.
0: I think for me, I am hesitant to get rid of test scores in general. I definitely think everything needs like pulled up at the roots though like american education in my opinion just needs a total overhaul because intelligence isn't just book smart it is a measure and it does show discipline and it does show a lot of people in my life are really great at studying and memorizing information that's not how i do things but again i might be stronger in other areas so what can i do prior to college enrollment that can show my strengths and why aren't those also taken into consideration maybe a small business though. That I have, or maybe a competition that I've won. Like, I just think that we should measure for some students. And, like, I just gave my example at the beginning, but I think that we have a lot of work to do and what makes a person qualified. Exactly. Yeah. I
1: do think that we have to embrace that there are many facets to intelligence. If we just look at a score and then we say this person's smart and this person's dumb and this person's won the genetic lottery and this person's lost the genetic lottery, we're missing out on how valuable that individual is. So we homeschooled our kids. They didn't go to school until last year. So they were four and a half years old before they even went into an educational environment. Right. The thing is that we want everyone to get that kind of Love and that kind of investment, that kind of belief. Now, obviously, we're not teaching little kids, you know. So it's not like. And my husband is a musician, and so he's not even teaching music to little kids. He does it with the kids. I do it with my kids. Whatever I can, we yeah. do it with our kids. So I'm not saying I I can solve the whole like who's going to human power, human capital issue for that. I'm just saying, ideally, everybody would get the amazing chance that you have given to your children and that I have given to my children. Everybody Mm -hmm. would get that. I don't think that we should go forward thinking like, oh, well, we've got this crap system. And so we'll just kind of clean it up a little. It's like, for me, I'm like, I just, I'm going to keep on beating that dead horse. I'm just going to keep saying like, until I see that everyone is treated with the complete respect and love that we treat our children with. I don't want to even know that like there are people who are not being loved that way, but it's true. I want us to really think of intelligence as this process as this neuroplastic issue of constantly having the chance to grow more, constantly having the chance to develop more if we allow them.
0: Unfortunately, if parents aren't on board of putting their children in these environments too, that's why we do have to work together. And I think that one of the last things I wanted to ask you is optimizing intelligence and how we come alongside of those in our lives that may be at a disadvantage, but we can help encourage them in these ways if the family lifestyle isn't there backing and supporting them. So you talk about three low-tech strategies. Just quickly maybe go over those to leave listeners with as how we can encourage not just our kids, but those around us that may not have that support at home.
1: The first is teaching a growth mindset. And that's something that can be done in the classroom or in your homeschooling environment, right? So that's something that I want the public education system to adopt. And I know that the Carol Dweck who originated this idea and the many, many people who have worked on growth mindset have made this patently clear that this actually works. It's teaching the way that our minds work, the way that we're neuroplastic, the way that our genes work, all of that stuff to the kids themselves so they can see that they always have the potential to learn more. So that's number one. Number two is mindfulness practice. So, and that really relies on minimalism in the sense of you need to have a place and not just a place, but like you need to be able to move through your day and have mindfulness moments. I think that's something that can also be brought into the places where our children are, whether that's home or whether that's at school or some other learning environment, but thinking, how can we empower our kids to have more mindfulness moments throughout their day. That's part of the whole lowering stress thing. And then the third one is what I call connected learning. And that is giving our kids a chance to learn together. Because when kids learn together, there's a synergy there. And so they actually learn better. And there's a social and emotional component to learning. And that helps fix the information in their brains. And it also helps them to grow as human beings. And so that's like, to me, the epitome of true intelligence is giving kids these chances. And again, that's something that people can do in mm-hmm. a classroom environment. They can do it in a an after school program or in the home. We also have three children and they're almost the same age. And so like two of them literally are the same age. They're four, five, five. And so they teach each other all the time. And it's just the most beautiful thing to watch them do that. So yeah. to have that be a part of the curriculum is key here.
0: Well I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this today. I can tell that you are so passionate about this. We're just looking for what we want best for the next generation and for kids. I think having these conversations and being able to challenge one another and talk through these things is the only way we're going to get there. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your book with us and this information. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation.